internet brand strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Scott Silverman and for those of you that are looking along at home I want you to check him out at yourcrisiscoach.com while we're talking because he's a really neat guy he's been on the show before and we're bringing him back because I find that many parents like me have no clue what their kids are doing and wouldn't even know where to begin to look for some sort of addiction or dependency. So we're going to be talking about that today and we're going to be talking about the opioid addiction. And one of the things that I wanted to open with, Scott, is with everything we're seeing with post-COVID with the war in Ukraine, I mean, this is really traumatic for not only um, people who have served, but also for young people who are embarking on their next phase in life. And the reason I say this is my son is just turned 18. He's gone off to college. And for a while there, he was talking to me about what's the point mom the world is ending there's so many terrible things in the world we just got through the pandemic there's a war in ukraine and it's going to be the next world war three and all of these are just reflections of what he's been absorbing from the media from waking up every day and pumping gas because we can't even escape it pumping gas i i get news in my head every morning when i go to get gas well, I, I think you've kind of outlined, you know, some of the obstacles that we're, you know, facing right now. And I think what's important, you know, I've always I'm one of those people that uh, I'm a catastrophic thinker. Mm-hmm. So if, if there's 100 people in a room and you walked in, Sandra, and you said, hey, you, I would immediately just react and think she's talking to me and I must have done something to upset her. So I get it. I understand exactly where your son is coming from. And I think the environment we're in today, it doesn't matter, you know, what you do in the world, even if you sit in a silo, because if you if you talk to other people, if you turn on the news, if you're on the net, if you're um, just moving around the community, reading a newspaper, checking emails, the, the news, unfortunately, is and you've just actually kind of rattled off a few things, but there's even more. When you look at the legislative, I've got a podcast this afternoon where I get to rant for 15 minutes about anything that aggravates me. And boy, I've got an hour and a half's worth. So I've got to really figure it out, you know, watching our legislative leaders argue about the silliest things. And then people say one thing and then they do another and then they're caught in it. And then they deny that they actually did it. So we are in some precarious times, but the upside is, look, you and I are talking about it. I mean, how are you going to reduce the stigma? We're going to talk about it, you know, and have your son call me. I'll, I'll give him a couple stories that will really enlighten him about other things. I mean, I was just on the phone this morning at 730 with a, uh, um, God, he was a, a 54-year-old, and his mom is driving him around, 
the coastal area to try to find his van. He could he can't remember where he left it. And he's at that point in his life where he should be pretty independent. And he's suffering right now from, you know, a couple of different things. And I don't know what they are until we get them assessed. So I think that we 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 also have a choice. You know, we can we can take the high road. We can look at the positive things. I mean, I'm you know, I'm in San Diego. It's it's going to be, I don't know, 78 today. Right. And, you know, normally we have, you know, um, April showers, May gray, June gloom, and it's just beautiful out. And I was outside today doing some work that I needed to do. And just I stopped for a second. And this morning for me, I got on my morning meeting, uh, my recovery meeting at 645 a.m. And I was also prepared to do an interview at, at uh, 10 minutes to 6 a.m. my time, but they had problems with their Zoom uh, in Tulsa. So I think you can make a choice. I think you can say to yourself, I'm going to do something different today, you know, because when you think about it, the only thing I can really control is my attitude. Well, and our thoughts, like I'm, I'm a really big thought girl and, you know, I used to be like you, a very catastrophic thinker. And if I heard my name called, I immediately thought I was in trouble. I mean, this could be at the DMV, you know, crazy places where they call you for your name, your next appointment, you know, there's your name. And I'm like, oh, what did I do? Um, but then I also realized that my thoughts create my reality in every aspect of my life from having a premature baby that I thought every day I would sit by his crib waiting for him to die because he was so premature he could barely breathe he's on a feeding tube this whole thing so I'm like okay kid it's you and me and I was prepared for him to die well now he's 18 going to UCSB so clearly he he didn't die and when I went through my divorce, every possible catastrophic thing went through my head from, you know, you're going to live alone to the rest of your life, you're going to die alone, you're going to lose your house, you're going to go through a foreclosure. In reality, that divorce was the best thing it happened to me, not maybe at the time, but but the the outcome. And I really realized that my thoughts create my reality. If I wake up and I say, it's going to be a good day, the sun could be shining, Scott. And I could say the sun is too bright or what a beautiful day. Like these are choices that we make. And I think especially in this digital age, you know, I'm, I'm a tech girl by background and I really believe a lot of our mental trauma today is because of too much digital use, you know, not enough brain rest. And when I'm overloaded on digital, when I've binged watch television, when I've been on my phone too much, my mental health takes a huge nosedive and I'm less able to manage my own thoughts. The other thing that I want to talk to you about and get your opinion on is when we work in digital, everything's lightning speed, you know, text comes right back, you know, I, I want to look something up immediate, immediate gratification, immediate, immediate. So I find my thoughts racing. And how can we manage our own mind manage our own thoughts when things are happening so fast. And so I find that I have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and write down what's going on in my own head because it's going so fast, I can't keep up. Do you, is that normal? Are you hearing that from people? Yeah, and I want to qualify something about my catastrophic thinking. What I do today that I couldn't do, let's say, 10, 15 years ago is I manage it differently. So instead of it being a six, seven-hour session of negative 
thinking that, you know, gets tumultuous and spirals into something bad. I've got tools today. Hey, Scott, I'm just going to jump in here for a moment to thank our sponsor because our sponsor today is Best Fiends. And as we talk about tools to get through our day and tools to make our lives better, this is one of my tools. And Best Fiends is a free to download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. And you know, guys, I am a workaholic. I take care of my kids and my dad. I'm a single mom. I'm go, go, go. And I put off fun for myself until the very last minute or sometimes not at all. And I feel like I deserve fun. And so what I do is I keep this game in my pocket. And it's always on my phone and I'm way over level 350. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. And today when I opened up my, my phone, I saw the cutest little guy. He's Detective Quincy. He's yellow. He's got this big blue eyeball. And he's a detective in a detective hat. And he has this little magnifying glass. And if I win the next like 15 challenges, I get to collect him as a character. And that's really fun because you can power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. You can also play in offline mode. And that's huge. Like we are busy go, go, go people. And we don't always have Wi-Fi available. So you're never stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. You've earned your fun time. So go to the App Store or Google Play to download Best Fiends for free. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's Friends Without the Art, Best Fiends, Friends Without the Art. You're so gonna love this game. You know, when I saw that little Detective Quincy, it was so cool. And he was just, he just made me laugh. He made my day. And, you know, we're talking today with Scott Silverman about having tools and how important tools are to get us through these challenging times. You know, there are a lot of great tools out there. You know, first of all, the idea of just closing your eyes, counting to 10, slowly and breathing in and out, just doing that. I mean, obviously you can't do it while you're driving, but you can do it. And those are the kind of things that just allows the brain a moment to get some oxygen and to think. And then of course there's meditation. Journaling is a great tool. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a science around the fact that if you use your other hand, not your dominant hand, and you journal, that's your inner child talking. So that that takes it even to a different level. Because if you know, you you start writing and I little Scotty pops up, there's a level of truth that can come out that's different. uh, And it can't be tainted by what's going on with all uh, the noise, if you will, that you have in your head. That's your inner child. That's your inner child. That's your baby. That's your, you know, that's your heart talking, not your head. And, you know, the thing I like to talk about is taking that 12 inch trip from your head to your heart. So you're, you're not in your head as much. You know, I, I have a saying that my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I never go there alone. I never go there alone. So self-care, taking time, meditation, exercise, nutrition, things you put in your body, people you even talk to. I mean, there are people that I'm at a point, you know, and I, you know, I have a book that I want to promote and I, I have speaking that I want to promote which puts me online a lot. And it also exposes me because I get out there and people tend to want to give you their feedback, whether you want it or not. And sometimes you have to raise above the fray and you have to understand that people just don't, you know, they don't necessarily agree with you and they they may never, but that's okay. And, And making that okay and letting that be okay is really important. So I think breathing, self care, meditation, uh, just stopping for a minute. You know, uh, uh, there's a guy that I've known for 
decades here in San Diego, Ken Blanchard. And oh, he, sure. Yeah. One minute manager. You know, he, yeah. he's written tons of books with others. He he shared he, he's a great storyteller. He shared a story one day, simple one that he goes, when I get up some mornings, instead of, you know, listening to the, setting the alarm and waking up to the alarm, he goes, I just take moments to slowly <laughs> get out of bed and breathe and start my day at a whole different pace. To your point, I mean, I, my wife was, um, I was up early and then I had my alarm because it was earlier than normal. And then, you know, she's on her phone at, I don't know, 5 a.m. And all of a sudden now we're both kind of being, you know, I'm going to a potential interview and she's checking in with what's going on. Of course, she likes to watch the safaris early in the morning. So she, that's really cool for her and she loves it. So th that she found a tool, you know, and, and she plays Mahjong. So you find things you love to do that aren't taxing but they're, they're invigorating and they energize you in a positive way. Some people just find floating in a pool for 20 minutes. Great. Some people take a nap and it recharges them for the afternoon. Some people watch goofy TV. I don't care what you do. You know, I think it's important just to not let go of those things that make you happy that are good for you. And that, you know, you're thoughtful and mindful about taking time each day to make you the most important person in your life. So when you move around the day, if you have others you contact with, you're not only a better you, you're a better them for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I find really helpful before I go to bed is I just take my little notepad and I write down like everything I'm worried about, everything I'm stressed about. It's amazing how offloading some of this stuff can be really freeing. So you have a good night's sleep because I think a good night's sleep is key to like almost everything. Like if I don't have a good night's sleep, like I can deal with not eating. I can deal with muscle fatigue. I can deal with pain. But man, if I don't get a good night's sleep, like everything is so much more difficult but one of the things that I found you know when we talk about especially our thoughts like I love what you said like you don't want to go to your thoughts alone you know like it's a bad neighborhood um one of the things that I've noticed in in writing my thoughts down and I'm a bullet point girl I'm not there to you know write you know Tolstoy's war and peace every night so I write these bullet points down and what I realized is how repetitive my negative thoughts are like you know you feel like it's something new and terrifying until you write them down for 10 days and you're like oh my gosh I'm a broken record they're like a comfortable sweater. You know, you want to wear it every day, but it's got holes and rips and yarn hanging out. You know, I think it's important, uh, you know, and it's something, one of the things I use, I, I find to be an awesome tool, very similar to what you've just described. I call it a God box. And what it is basically is a box that I've made, cardboard box, and I put God box on it and I, and I write things down, always bullets. And I remember when I first got one, God, back in the 80s, um, and I use little tiny, you know, before post-its, I cut paper up because I didn't want to, I I'm an orator and I've written a couple of books, but I'm not a great, you know, writer. I don't write well and I wanted something simple. So, you know, you know, dear God, take away my pain, you know, or my God, my wife's in the room breathing. What do I do? You know, simple things. And it, your point is almost like a data dump, if you will, for using a contemporary term or a refresh or a reboot. Uh, and I would do it at night as well. And then in the morning, I'd start my day with if I woke up with something that caused me angst, I would write those things down, I put them in my God box, and I would lighten my load. It's almost like bringing a whole team with you to manage some of the stuff that you can't, or as it comes at you, uh, by placing yourself in a more 
uh, serene moment, you know, and, and that's what, for me, the, the definition of mindfulness is living in the moment, you know, and I can manage anything in 60 seconds. Sometimes okay. going past that, it requires a lot more time, but just about anything coming at me, if I process that way or think that way, or let my soul know that it's okay to deal with this one minute at a time, I'm going to be able to not only accept it, work with it, modify it, adjust it if need be, or, you know, do what I have to, to move forward. Absolutely. You know, and I think it's one of those things that you have to, at some point, sit down with your own mind and, and start having a conversation with it going like, look, is this helping me? Is this hurting me? Like what is going on? And you know, this is not something that's really easy. It sounds totally simple to do like, oh yeah, just sit down and think about your thoughts and write your thoughts down and manage your thoughts. Like all of those sound like, like 30 second gigs, like just, oh, sit down and do it. I find that I, when I first started doing this, Scott, and really like observing my own thoughts, I had to move. I could only do it if I was swimming. I would swim laps and do it. I would be, you know, walking in the park or running on the treadmill. And it was a process for me to learn how to slow down enough to go to even figure out what was going on in my head. You, you know, you, you bring up a good point because when you think about it, you know, I'm listening to you um, symbiotically kind of recant what I'm saying and, and, and either agreeing with it and agreeing with it. But I was thinking, you know, sometimes when we're sitting here saying these things, I realize that some people may not not know how to write. They may not even they may not even think a journal. What is that? And, and they think their writing is so sloppy. They don't want to start writing. And, you know, they don't know how to meditate. They don't know how to breathe because I'm none of these things I knew. I mean, so, until me I, somebody showed me. So I encourage people if you hear these things that we're talking about and you're going, oh, well, that may work for you, understand that, you know, you, you really don't, I'm going to give you a, a, probably a bad analogy. If you don't know what a Krispy Kreme donut tastes like, the only way to really know is to taste it or listen to somebody who can describe for you what it tastes like for them. And that's just, you know, some people say, oh, I don't want to eat a donut. Okay, then ask someone to describe it to you. Or what is it like to, to hear the ocean in the middle of the night. Well, if you haven't had a chance to go do it, if you can't do it, you know, there's something on YouTube. So you can go on YouTube pretty much, you know, and that's just one portal and you can find all these great experts who are doing these things that give you little vignettes, you know, in two, three, four minutes, how to breathe, well, how to count, how to breathe in and out, you know, what's the best way to do it? Counting from 10 to one, one to 10, go find out. Meaning if things aren't going the way you want them to, don't be afraid to pivot. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to think that there might be a way to get comfortable if you're uncomfortable. And I find that one of the most difficult things to do is to get comfortable with being comfortable, uncomfortable. But once you get there, you realize, you know what? I'm not going to let this thing run my show. Right. Whatever Absolutely. That thing is. You know, and not every tool that you talked about, you know, journaling, meditation, you know, and not every tool is going to work at every time. This was right. one thing that was a big aha for me, because when I got divorced, my ex-husband left. I had a three-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. My mom was dying of cancer, was going through a foreclosure, like it was a bad time. And everybody told me, do yoga, do yoga, do yoga. And I'm like, okay, because that will help me feel better. And I... I went to do yoga 
And I was so hopped up, like I was so angry. And this guy next to me was like 100 years old. He smelled really bad. He could bend like a pretzel. I couldn't do anything. And I got more and more frustrated because I couldn't do any of the poses. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't do anything. I got out of that class and I left. And I walked across from the yoga studio. Across the way was this uh, karate studio teaching Krav Maga. So I'm like, you know what? I walked in there. For three months, all I did was kick, punch, yell, and scream, got 10 years of a bad marriage out, left it on the mat, and then years later, I went to yoga, and now I'm certified. So not everything is going to work at every time, and everybody kept telling me, yoga, 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 journal, journal, journal. Well, my handwriting's terrible. I can't spell. All the letters are backwards. The words are in the wrong order. I can't seem to function with the word anything ending in ing it just kind of dribbles off the page so to have these tools now in my life 10 years later or 12 years later shows that we don't always know what's best for us so we keep trying like if i had walked out of yoga that day and never went back if i had not walked out of yoga or felt defeated or powerless because i really did i was like okay this helped everybody else but me like, what kind of loser am I that I can't even do a yoga class and get anything out of it? Well, going to the Krav Maga class and spending months there was right for me, and I wouldn't have found that out if I hadn't kept trying. And I think it's like a process of elimination. You might know, like in a Vegas buffet, what you don't want to eat, and you can cross those off the list. Then you have a list of things you might want to eat. I think it's really important that we talk about these things because in an era of Google it, everyone thinks they should be an expert and get it right the first time. I think you make a very good point. And, you know, my my uh, thoughts that I'm sharing are suggestions. I mean, I I'm, I'm starting to ride a bike again. I'm 68 years old. You know, it's, it's, it, you know, it just feels right right now. Of course, you know, they're e-bikes, so you've got a little motor, which helps. <laughs> so you make the appropriate adjustment to your point, you know, and some people love walking, some running, some swimming, some, you know, and look, sometimes you need to take a day and just um, make it a mental health day and just chill. You know, I was on a morning meeting that I shared with you earlier and half the people in the meeting were saying that over the weekend, they had some really dark thoughts and they were depressed. And, um, and it, so that you hear enough people say that you wonder, you know, were the, were, were the planets aligned in a weird way, but rather than figure it out, I just listened. And what I found was by hearing other people share, I felt better about my space that I was in. So that's the thing about connecting with others and having that opportunity to, you know, in my opinion, to be in a fellowship where I can always check in and I'm always welcome. And there's, you know, you and I haven't even really talked about the whole faith-based world or the, the therapeutic world and the experts out there that are, you know, trained to work with these kind of things. So there's lots of different options. And I really, I just encourage people, if you're not where you think you want to be, be okay with looking for something that might help and don't buy anything lease it, rent it, and see if it's a good fit for you, to your point, and try a couple things. And, it, you know, you're never too old. I mean, I, I anticipate in the next two years, I'll probably get in the best physical shape that I've ever been in. And most everybody my age is having knees replaced and hips replaced. 
And I didn't do what they did, you know, in, in my 30s, 40s and 50s. So I figure like I've got my 30s and 40s and 50s in front of me now from a physical perspective. And physiologically, I'm in great shape, you know, heart's beating well and blood pressure is really where it should be for someone in their, their 40s. So I, you know, I say the things I'm saying out loud because I really want to follow my own truth. Yes. And, you know, I'm a little lazy and uh my mom used to say, you're not, you're not lazy. You're just irresponsible. So, you know, you, you do what you can, you know, to your point, I mean, catastrophic events sometimes can be the biggest stimulus for us to make change and to create change. And, you know, the things you and I are talking about today, if we do a lot of these things, th there's no doubt that, that I believe things are going to get better at every level in your life and people close to you are going to see it and they're going to want what you have. Yes, absolutely. You know, I've just finished um, 14 months of cancer treatments. I've been uh, done with my cancer treatments about a year now. And what I tell people with that, because you just go really like divorce, foreclosure, death, then you get cancer, like what a shock, you know, they always say stress, you know, causes cancer stress. And in my opinion, it does. And in my experience, it did. But one of the things that when people ask me about that experience, I'm like, I didn't cure cancer, cancer cured me. Getting the cancer diagnosis meant I had to sit down with myself and face some really ugly truths. Like I am not eating the way I know I should. I'm not caring for my body the way I should. I'm not sleeping the way I should. You know, I bought one of those fitness watches, just curious to see how much I sleep. I was four to five hours a night. Well, duh, no wonder I got sick. When I started tracking my nutrition, no wonder I got sick. Like, you know, it's not like any one thing contributed, but when I looked at cumulatively the way I was living my life, why would I feel good when I get up in the morning? I stay up too late. I fill my stuff with crap and I'm stressed to the gills and I'm not doing anything about it. So I'm not saying that I caused it, but I'm certainly saying that prior to my diagnosis and then a year out from my finishing of my treatment, my wake up time in the morning is like night and day. And I think a lot of times when we're going through difficulty, we think, what does it matter? You know, you mentioned a donut. What does it matter if I eat this donut or I eat half a box? And what does it matter if I drink this cup of wine or then I finish the whole bottle? Like, I think we get hopeless and that's our thinking. That's, that's where our, our thoughts can get, at least mine can get like on a freight train and I keep piling the cars on to the freight train and then it starts going downhill and I can't stop it. And I give that analogy of the freight train because everybody knows that point where they get. I usually call it my Friday cry days. That's what the kids named it. Because by Friday afternoon, I'm so tired from the week and frustrated. I've been a single mom for, I don't know, 16 years. And by Friday, I'm worn out. I'm overtired. I'm stressed. I'm whatever. And if I start talking about what's going on in my life, eventually the divorce will come up, the death will come up, the foreclosure will come up. And, you know, and it's, I'm piling these freight cars onto this train that's going downhill, but I'm actually doing it. You know, I could be driving to the grocery store. Why am I not thinking about my grocery list? You know, why am I piling on the, the freight cars onto that freight train so it can go roaring downhill? And when I hit bottom is when I make those decisions that are counter to everything I know I need to be healthy. 
You know, it's funny, the thing that came to mind when you mentioned the grocery store, I was thinking, I know a couple of divorce coaches and, the, you know, my daughter's a family law attorney. I'm thinking, you know, it's a great place to meet somebody if you're looking to uh, share some of your experience, strength and hope, misery and joy with someone else that, you know, they say the healthier sections of the store are the best. I mean, I, I'm usually in the cookie chip aisle. So all I see is <laughs> people, you know, that uh, probably shouldn't be in that aisle. But I, I think you're right. I think it's, you know, it's, Life really, they say that God will only give you what you can handle, but you, you know, sometimes handling it just can be overwhelming. But once, once you understand, and I think the more one can connect to other things, I mean, the fact that you're doing this, a podcast, I mean, it's got to be a huge releaser. It is for me personally, you know, and I try to do, I do two of my own a week and I'm on as many as I get invited to, because it gives me a chance to talk to others because you're you're one of those people that's funneling a lot of different uh information and resources and i like i like it because what happens is i kind of capsule it and i've just recently decided i'm gonna i have a pretty good network in my anonymous recovery groups but i'm bringing a lot of them into my podcast originally i was concerned about anonymity years ago and now i'm just like you know what these folks have some great experience and they've 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 they, and they've seen some catastrophic events, um, you know. And I got into the treatment business nine years ago because I was tired of going to funerals. So yeah. if I can share something one day that somebody else says, "Oh, you know what? That that really makes sense," and it triggers something in them, and it prevents them from, you know, taking the right road rather than the left, if you will. And they get help, and they feel better, and they are better. Because I'm in the, you know, I'm a a hopeless helper when it comes to working with people. And I, and I have to also be careful because I give a lot of who I am to others. So I try to make that balance happen whenever I can. And, you know, and I had a bad day yesterday and I it, just personally, and I just, I was talking to my wife and she goes, what would you tell somebody? I'd say, give yourself permission to be okay with not being okay. Right. And um, then I'm thinking, okay, honey, are you going to parrot back to me now? The stuff that I taught you. And she said, isn't that what you teach? And I said, oh, my God. OK, yeah, it makes sense. So I started to breathe quietly, close my eyes. And as soon as I sat quietly, my dogs came up, sat on my lap. And, and uh, within half an hour, I was like, OK, I, you know, I, there's nothing I can do about what that, this is and that is until tomorrow or, or at all. And I processed it and I moved on, you know, so. But that's I, a skill, you know, and you well, have a lot of it's luck because, you know, a lot yeah. of it's just putting the brakes on and recognizing that, you know, my, my, one of my next books, I have two on the drawing board is you're not God, that job is taken. Right. So, so the idea is you're right. It, you know, it takes, it, there's skill sets involved there, but a lot of it was just luck. Cause I was, I felt like I was just falling uh, emotionally and I didn't really know why. So rather than try to figure out why I just tried to breathe through it and I, I got lucky and it worked, but you're right. There are skills there. Cause if I had not stopped and I didn't breathe, it could have spiraled, you know, and I heard this morning from a bunch of people, I got into bed, I closed the blinds. And to me, that's just, it's, uh, you know, it's okay for a few minutes, but it can really, really get compounded if you're not careful. Well, yeah, that's the freight train. You know, you keep piling on, piling on. If you don't stop the freight train and put brakes on the freight train, 
um, you know, I know I will, you know, get to the point where I'm like, you know, sitting in a parking lot crying, you know, not even knowing why. And there's sometimes that that's a good thing. You know, we do need to release these things. And that's why having these conversations of saying, hey, you know, Scott, this is what goes on in my head. What goes on in your head? Because every once in a while I listen to a podcast and the person sounds just like me. And that, you know, we're not, we all like to think we're the only ones who suffer. We're the only ones who go through trauma. We're the only ones, you know, because that feels very isolating. And when you're in a trauma situation, you feel like you're the only one who has anything negative going on in their world. You know, it's very narcissistic. It's very selfish. You know, when you're in that trauma state, it's all about you. It's all about my feelings. I know I was right there. I was the poster child for it. And listening to other people talk about what they do and mine is so simple and it's so loud i just say stop and sometimes i say it right out loud i'll be in the kitchen and the kids are like mom like the freight train going i'm like yes and i have to say stop out loud like you know what you're doing this isn't going to help you and i have this conversation this war with myself back and forth and then i get to the point well what can you do and i have this checklist it's actually on my phone like what can i do when i'm in a bad place you know can i take a bath can i take a swim can i take a walk can i read a book can i watch a um a rerun you know because reruns give us certainty we're certain we know what we're getting we're not going to watch some ncis and have some character die we watch an old one we know what's going to happen we can minimize the trauma even from you know watching a television show because it does compound and that's why i love reruns reruns give us certainty i'm certain that ross and rachel are going to end up together so i can watch this episode that, you know, that's a great analogy. I And I'm, I've never really put it. I, I like watching things multiple times. And it's probably the first time I've heard it out loud, the way you framed it. That's a great idea. So I don't feel bad now if I watch a stupid movie. I call it a stupid movie, you know, five or six times. And it's interesting. At my age, I see things I didn't see before. So I'm like, wow, where was I the first time I saw this? So that's a that's a great thing to do. And, you know, and with all the different portals, with all the different streaming today, you can you could pick any genre you want and you can do a deep dive on it. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking as you're talking about, you know, mental health. Um, my dad was institutionalized twice. And I, in this morning with everyone talking it, I kind of flashed back and got sad about when I visited him. But I remember this one day I went to visit him and they were they were building birdhouses, uh, you know, the patients uh, in the inpatient wing and behavioral health. And he goes, do you think you can help me, son? You know, and I'm pretty good with my hands. So we built this really tricked out two-story birdhouse. Anyway, he won first prize. He was pretty excited. He got an extra, you know, helping of ice cream. And uh, he really thanked me the next day when I went to see him. He goes, that was great. He goes, I, I came in first place. And he goes, I don't know a friggin' thing about using a hammer. And you did everything for me. And I really appreciate that. It really gave me a lot of joy thinking about those moments. Because I could be there and I could be present for him. And I was able to do that. So, you know, just... And to your point about, you know, seeing something, knowing what it is, sometimes our history, there's there's positive things we have. There's great things that have happened, special times with our family, friends and travel, you know, or a book we read or, or you know, in music, they say is one of the tools that really can help you kind of align with something special in your life. Because generally speaking, music was something we all had some 
connectivity to when we had when we were doing activities or just you know at a party or a dance or a concert and that's a great tool as well and i'm i'm getting back into music as far as listening goes i've even thought about maybe getting a you know a record player again but then mm -hmm. i have to collect vinyls and i'm kind of compulsive obsessive i don't want to start another hobby that i know will make me crazy to try to find something and when i can't find it i get upset so i know myself well enough to know you know go ride the bike i mean i'll get more of a benefit there and, and then i'm thinking well if i get strong enough i could ride to crispy creams that's how my mind works that's why i say you know it's like a bad neighborhood i never go there alone unless i have to I love that. I love that. And, and you know, I just want to acknowledge Allison Carmen right now. She wrote an article in the Daily Beast. That's where I read the thing about certainty. You know, she wrote an article about these Gilmore girls and, you know, how good she felt when when she watched them. And it was a repeat and it was, you know, a, a nod to certainty. She could be certain. So I just wanted to acknowledge that wasn't my idea originally. That was Allison Carmen who wrote a book called The Gift of Maybe. Um, one of the things that I wonder if it it causes us to make bad decisions, I know it does for me, is living with uncertainty. And I think, you know, entrepreneurs I know have a high level of uncertainty. They're able to manage a high level of uncertainty. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a high level of uncertainty. But when there's too much uncertainty, like when I have an uncertainty overload, that's when the fear creeps in. That's where... Um, the thoughts, I start losing control over my own thoughts because we do have control of our thoughts, all things being equal. You know, if we're hungry, tired, angry, sad, you know, emotional, whatever, we're gonna have a harder time controlling our thoughts. And when we kind of get on that freight train, one of the big triggers for me is too much uncertainty. Where does uncertainty versus certainty play in to addiction because when i look at my friends who have all had difficult childhoods and all had addiction issues the one thing you could count on was they had so much uncertainty many times they didn't know where the parent was or they were alone and didn't know if they were going to eat or what they were going to eat you know all these little micro uncertainties seem to pile up in them and I don't know if we get better at managing more uncertainty, but I think uncertainty is the key to one of these things, triggers, that I think puts a lot of us off the deep end. What are your thoughts on uncertainty? Well, I think uncertainty to me is not necessarily knowing what the outcome of something might be right. or how someone might respond to my thoughts. So. I have to be careful with uncertainty because that to me is like, it's one of those rough roads where you're, you can you can walk on broken glass and make yourself crazy with the uncertainty. Right. I think I think life is uncertain, you know, and, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about generationally, you know, what's my kids, how they approach things, um, how I approach things today because of my generation, maybe because I have more experience in one area or another. And when I say more experience, it's only because I've seen it, you know, a couple hundred times or bumped my head or been disappointed, you know, or the uncertainty, I, I, I projected one way and it came out another. So I get a little uncomfortable with trusting my gut, which is not a good place to be. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I try not to overreact, but I think uncertainty is part, look, when you get to a stop sign, looking left and right, the level of uncertainty, whether a car's coming, you can only really check if you check. Right. 
But you can look left, you can look right, and then you can go into the intersection. And then all of a sudden there's someone going fast who's coming on your left. So, but you can't walk around paranoid and, and you know, realizing if you keep looking left and right and wondering if the car's going to come, you, you just sit there you, and you'll get, you'll get stuck and you'll, you know, you'll get into quicksand and that'll start to impact you. So I think it's, I think in some ways it's a great tool to have because it allows you to keep an open mind and maybe be a little more patient versus trying to figure everything out before you leave for the day. Cause then you've got zero flexibility. How do you adjust? How do you flex? How do you, you know, how do you step forward? How do you pull back a little bit and how do you sit down and breathe? Because you've already got the plan in your head. So I think uncertainty and I hate surprises. So I'll tell you, I hate surprises, but on the other hand, um, Nice ones are always nice ones, but, uh, you know, uh, being that person who thinks, well, if I'm going to get a surprise today, it probably won't be a good one. And, and sometimes I say that just to set myself up for something positive, you know, and I've got a you know, pretty active mind and I'm ADHD, so I can, I can take this off into different directions simultaneously and balance them like 20 plates I'm spinning and jumping around on a trampoline, trampoline and being on a, you know, a big swing set all at the same time going, okay, I think I got it now. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but it's a, I, I try to think of it as something positive because really what it is, is just, again, you're not God, that job is taken. Meaning I can't read the future. I don't have a crystal ball, you know, and I talk to families all the time and they want to know when is it going to get better? And I said, look, I wish I had an answer. That's, that's what I'm talking about is the, you know, and I call it like the Google generation because it used to be he who commanded the most intelligence in their head, you know, the most data in their head, you know, kind of was the winner. Then we had the person who could manipulate data and create things. Okay. They're the winner. Now what I'm seeing, and I do have teenage boys and I, I do, you know, have their friends over, we have a pool. So it's my own little laboratory in the backyard of listening to their conversations. And when they can't Google an answer, it causes great difficulty. And if they Google two answers and they're the same and then argument ensues, and I know some of it is teenage angst. I get that. I was a teenager. But we're so used to getting an answer right away. We're so used to having all these studies tell us why we did the things we did or why we feel the way we do. Now we throw in COVID, which is massive uncertainty. You know, we go to the grocery Mm. store. We don't know if chicken's going to be there or not. At least, you know, here in Los Angeles, we're still having supply chain issues. And this concept of uncertainty and having to numb out the uncertainty i saw it with my son's friends a group was going off to college they were certain they knew what they were doing then there was the group that obviously weren't high performers going off to school they didn't know what they were doing they had all this uncertainty and i looked at the numbing behaviors of the two groups and the group that had the certainty of where they were going was very different than the group that had to manage uncertainty of going when i get out of high school then what And, you know, I think when you have that path of going, well, yeah, I'm going to be three months off in the summer, then I'm going to go back to school. I'm just going to continue what I'm doing just in a different place. Not that there's not insecurity and anxiety of going to school, going to college, but I could see a big difference in the way the difficulty these young men had in handling the uncertainty. You know, I remember when my daughter was getting ready to graduate college, I think it was, uh, what, six years ago? seven years ago now, maybe eight. 
And, it, you know, and so when you think of that, just seven, eight years ago, you know, 40% of the graduates um, had no idea right. where they were going to go get a job, even though they had a specific issue uh, they want to focus on, but the, the marketplace wasn't there. And, you know, I just saw, was it was last night on 60 Minutes, they were talking about 40% of the businesses have not started back up again in New York. So, and when you think about what you just mentioned, you, know, you go to the store, you don't know if there's going to be chicken there, but one of the things you do know if it is, it's going to be 50% higher than it was three weeks ago. <laughs> so, you know, th- there's, there, there is that the level of uncertainty right now. And of course, there are people that are obviously very well invested in the stock market. And then we're watching what's going on with, you know, you know, Musk with taking over Twitter, thinking, oh my God, one of the major communication platform if it gets owned by somebody who has a specific agenda, and we're already bombarded enough with all these different ways of uh, uh, information coming at us, the information highway. It's almost like a, as it's a net right now, and it's not a safety net in many ways. Although no. finding out things, information highway, and you're right, young people they do it differently. It's amazing watching young people when I go, you know, to get my coffee at my place. You know, they're all sitting around, and in many cases, they're texting each other, and they're right. at the same table. So yeah. the the way they, uh, you know. I used to work with people coming out of jail and prison. I used to get upset with the judges because they, they would never look up. They would never see the person that they're right. They don't see the person. Yeah. Yeah. They were well, because they had so many people they had to see that day. And I, you know, I came into drug court to give a presentation and I, I kind of browbeat the judges Um, and, and drug court was a proactive environment, which, you know, was one of the biggest innovations in the court system in, in, oh, they said in 50 years. And, you know, they pretty much have done away with them because of budgeting, but because it was a great alternative for people that needed the help. And right now, I don't know, there isn't, there is a lot of uncertainty, uh, you know, especially with COVID and what it's done to amplify things that we'll see over the next couple of years. Cause I'm concerned. I watched the morbidity rate increase in just the last four years since I started my book, you know, the opioid mm-hmm. epidemic. And I'm seeing today, you know, with what fentanyl is bringing to the table, uh, the morbidity rate going up even more. So we are in this situation and my new acronym, I'm calling it PI because mm-hmm. everybody likes PI, you know, uh, prevention, information and education. Because if we're not informing ourselves and those we care about and encouraging them to get information, to make more informed decisions. And I'm not saying get the info not to do something, but get the info so at least you know if you're gonna do it, what the potential consequences are, the upside, the downside. And you know, when it comes to fentanyl, you know, it's a poison. It's not a party drug, it's a poison. And that's what's killing so many of our young people right now. And most of it's accidental overdoses. They don't even know they're taking it. And if they do, they think they're taking such a low dose, they'll be okay. And those are the things that frighten me. That's a level of uncertainty that I have. Well, that's the, you know, that's the thing about, you know, when you look at, I like to look, I like to go back like three steps, you know, like, you know, when somebody wins at chess, you can go back and construct the moves that go to that point. And when I see these young people, especially young people and young adults, not just teens, not having the skills to handle uncertainty and we are more uncertainty in the world than anything what do we do when we go to a party we want to we want to step away we want to you know have a good time we want to be relieved of all this heaviness of our uncertainty and i think that that's this uncertainty is one of the things that i i attribute to the rise in 
suicide and in and in addiction because there is so much uncertainty and we've got a whole generation of kids coming up with the certainty on their cell phone they can always look it up they can always get it five minutes amazon delivers the next day or sometimes now they do same day you know it's like the pizza hut of our days 30 minutes of less and you know drivers were getting into accidents trying to deliver a pizza within 30 minutes and you know, talking about uncertainty today with respect to addiction and the opioid crisis, but also with suicide. Um, my experience in this is personal. I've seen it within my family and friends. I've seen these young people take their lives either knowingly or accidentally. And one of the big common denominators that I'm seeing is an inability to not just thrive but function with this huge level of uncertainty well the and the tools that we need to deal with this kind of these kind of events most people don't have right you know because it's come on and i'll tell you something there i haven't spoken to anybody that i can find who is a behavioral health expert who's ever gone through anything like what we've gone through the last right. couple of years they haven't. And, and being bombarded with the you know the, the news and the death rate with covid and then what's happening in Ukraine. And then of course, watching again, as I said earlier, watching our legislative leaders play these position games and possession games and control games. You know, it was interesting. Was it just said, oh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was you know testifying to whatever took place. It, it, this isn't political. And it turns out, you know, and, and I guess whether the, the, she's before the judge to determine whether she can run again for reelection. And the comment that came after her testimony, where she says something like 50 times, I can't remember. And we know people in positions like that remember everything. That's how they get there. But then it was stated that the judge, the judge is up for reelection. So the judge is going to make a decision potentially to protect his own reelection. Right. Everybody's so self-interest. So it's amazing to me. I don't know how we got here. I don't even want to think about it. But on the other hand, look at. Imagine what the young people are seeing going, what what is what is your generation done to this planet? Right. Well, look at look at the fall of Hollywood. Look at the fall of big business, the fall of military, the fall of education. You know, all of these things have fallen in the last, you know, four or five years, six years. All these big industries that we trusted to be, you know, it's like antitrust going haywire everywhere from you know whether it's hollywood why me or me too you know that whole thing like there's so much change going on you know and a lot of things are coming to light which i believe ultimately will be a good thing you know we can restructure our society so we can be fairer to all people we can actually live the principles on which we founded our country maybe i hope you know i'm not not there yet but the whole point is when we're dismantling aspects of our society and examining them, like the medical industry got examined with COVID and, you know, we're looking at pharmaceutical companies in different ways. And, you know, all of these things are what I think are important parts of an evolution of a society to look at the things we're not doing right and change them. But for young people, it's more catastrophic of going, you know, the whole world's falling apart. And I think in some ways they believe they're going to, you know, they're kind of at the bottom of the mountain. And as the snowball rolls down, they're just going to get hit by it. Yep. So there's a lot of pushback, a lot of, you know, uh, pivoting on their part. And they're, you know, but the tools for empowerment 
that have historically worked, uh, there's a lot of credibility issues going on right now. So to your point, you know, so I think people, I'm hoping people are turning to things that they know they've learned over the years, maybe from their elders or their, you know, contemporaries, you know, whether it be faith-based or whether it be through leadership training or reading, or uh, as you said, maybe reviewing a, a piece of history that they hadn't really seen before and looking at it from a different perspective, because there's so many different ways to find what's wrong. And there aren't a lot of ways to find what's right other than to accept it for what it is. Right. And sometimes it can be as simple. So one of the things I'm doing in my life is trying to keep things as simple as possible and not overthink and complicate and, and makes it hard. But, you know, uh, we're serving veterans now at Confidential Recovery and, you know, the needs veterans have are wide. And, and you know, I worked with them years ago, but only veterans who had criminal histories because the traditional veteran portal couldn't support them. Right. And now we're dealing with, you know, uh, veterans who don't necessarily, some do, some don't, but we don't, we don't have a problem with it because the way, our, you know, we're funded through insurance where before it was tax dollars and they wouldn't let us work with veterans or no one could work with veterans that had criminal history. And, you know, 40% of our homeless years ago in San Diego used to be veterans. Of course, absolutely. And it's, it's actually gotten better because the, the, when the VA should, I think they're the second fund, highest funded line item in the budget in the country, they should be taking care of the veterans. You know, they're, they're, they've got the fiscal resources. So it's just a matter of putting the talent pool together. So, you know, it's, it's a complicated time, but I think some of the solutions can be pretty simple. Absolutely. And for those of you who enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and check out Scott Silverman at yourcrisiscoach.com. The book that he has out there is The Opioid uh, Epidemic, What You Don't Know Will Destroy Your Family and Your Life. I want to thank you for being my guest today. I had a great time talking with you and exploring some of these issues. If you liked what you heard today, check out Scott Silverman, yourcrisiscoach.com. We'll be back again next week with another great episode. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach Talk Radio.